wanted to uh, extend a very, very warm uh, welcome. Oh, from Schomburg, that's fantastic. Kristina Zosowski from All Saints Parish. Um, it's just so wonderful to see everybody here. I don't know if any of you here, oh, Roseanne Lista from Our Lady of Peace. Hello, Roseanne. Thank you. And Rema, she's our mother's group leader actually at St. Benedict's and Christina's our mother's group leader um, at All Saints Parish. So it's so good to see you here. Some of you, well, I think most of you know me, but some of you might not know me. Um, so I wanted to just tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Dorothy Polarski. Oh, hello, Mila from St. Michael's Cathedral. Wonderful to see you here, Mila from the Cathedral. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Dorothy Polarski, and uh, I work in partnership with the Archdiocese and helping parishes start mother's groups, the Archdiocese of Toronto. We have helped, we have worked with over 40 parishes in starting mothers groups. Now, not all of those mothers groups have lasted. You know, I think right now we're about 35 of them. Um, we also have several mothers groups um, in the United States, and we're really excited about our mothers ministry growing. And so, why are we here? Why are we on Zoom? And why are we meeting? Well, COVID-19 has brought us into a virtual format. Um, we can't meet in person. And so it, when COVID broke out, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to host two or three meetings. And instead, we're now in our ninth uh, Midday Moms uh, meeting. And it's fantastic that, um, that you're here. So our hope is to, you know, why are we here? We're here for three reasons, I always say. We're here to give you some inspiration, to pray with you. We're here today so that you can meet an incredibly fantastic, holy priest that I love, and I'll say that publicly, I love Father Casper. And the third reason that we're here is tomorrow we celebrate um, a remarkable solemnity in the Catholic Church, the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart. And, um, the Sacred Heart has always had a profound place in my heart and in my faith journey, and I want you to learn a little bit about it. I want to say hello to Vicenta from Holy Family on King Street. I want to say hello to Nelsie and Milton, uh, Martine. I know that you go to um, St. Peter and Paul and sometimes Maximilian Kolbe. Claude, um, I know you're from Richmond Hill. Carmela, you're from St. Joseph the Worker in Thornhill. <clears throat> Um, Mila. Okay, so I already said hi to you. So welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about Father Casper, because um, he's probably wondering, when's Dorothy going to just stop talking? <laughs> but uh, I have known Father Casper for 30 years, three zero. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the day that I met him. It was at St. Joan of Arc Church. And at that time, 30 years ago, I was uh, a little bit angry and a little bit frustrated. And I, could, I had kind of vowed that I wasn't sure if I was ever going to go back to confession because, uh, you know, we've all had an experience, right? And so I thought, I'm never going to go back to confession. And then I went into St. Joan of Arc Parish and I heard Father James Casper's voice, and the hardness of my heart just melted. And uh, made appointment to see him, and have been seeing him ever since. I have to publicly state that our mother's ministry would not exist without Father Casper. Um, our ministry is a direct fruit of his priestly vocation, and uh, I'm almost uh, going to break out in tears when I think that the journey that we've, uh, that, that he's, he's accompanied me in my spiritual uh, life, and anyway, he's been a priest for over 50 years, um, Father, and he's a priest of the Sacred Heart. Father Casper, can you tell us a little bit 
about yourself? Because I'm going on and on and on, and I don't think I gave you a good introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You did a wonderful introduction. Thank you, Dorothy. <laughs> it's a pleasure for me to be here to join you today. Um, I have, um, I belong to a religious community, as Dorothy said, called the Priests of the Sacred Heart. Uh, we were founded in France in the, in the 1878. And our founder was a diocesan priest who really um, founded the community mainly to work with the very poor um, workers who came in from the rural area to work in the, in the new factories that were being built in the town that he was stationed in. Anyhow, I, I met our community when I went to high school. I was, I was taught for most of my years of high school by our priests who, who had a, a boys' school outside of London, Ontario. So I, I'm the eldest of a family of six. Um, when I think back, my mother was only 18 years old when she married my father. And uh, I'm the eldest. I was born when she was just 20 years old. So um, um, we lived in Leamington. I, I joined our community, the Priests of the Sacred Heart, at the end of my high school years. And through the community, I've had a chance to do wonderful things during my life. They gave me the opportunity for an education. I taught in our high school. Um, so I have background in teaching. Um, I. Um, I also afterwards had a chance to study psychology and I worked with the um, uh, Catholic school boards in London and in Toronto for some years um, as a school a psychometrist. I worked with a social worker, but it, it was wonderful to bring priesthood and psychology together in those, in those years. Um, in our community here, I had responsibility for um, Form, formation, we call it, you know, introducing the new people, joining our community into the traditions of our community and our spirituality. Um, also, because I felt we lived to stay the life in Toronto, a group of us went to Halifax and we took the House of Formation there. And we began a street ministry where we, we um, actually met and fed people who lived on the streets who were homeless. Uh, it was a wonderful experience for me. And when I came back to Toronto after those years in Halifax, I ended up in parish ministry. That was extremely rewarding again. Everything I've had, I must say, I found most enriching. Um, I like to work with people of different backgrounds and I certainly had that opportunity throughout the years. So. In a nutshell, that's it. I'm still closely connected with my family. All six of us seem to be able to get together regularly by phone or Zoom or something like that. And uh, yeah, that's so, about it. Father, and um, what uh, nationality are you? Uh, Lebanese. My father came from Lebanon when he was just 16 years old. And my mother was born in Windsor, Ontario, but um, she, her parents came from Lebanon. You know, I, I have to admit, I've known you for, gosh, 30 years. And I guess whenever I see you, I'm doing most of the talking. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning a lot today. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've known this man for so long. And uh, uh, so Claude uh, here is, says uh, that she's originally from uh, Lebanon. I wanted to say a quick hello to Susan Monaco. She's a mother's group leader at Our Lady of Peace. I'd like to say a quick hello. We've got, oh, someone here from Burlington. Uh, Kay from um, Blessed Trinity Parish in North York. And uh, yeah, so Kathy from Holy Rosary Parish in Toronto. So. A big warm welcome to all of you um, signing on. Now, uh, Father Casper, you know, we are a group of moms and um, I had kind of like the, the privilege and opportunity and the grace to actually be at your mom's uh, funeral. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about your mom? Um, I'd just love to learn a little bit about your mom. Yes, I'd be glad to. She was, um, of course, to my mind, she was, she was an extraordinary person. Um, my mother was born in 1918. And uh, when she was only two years old, her mother died at childbirth. So, so uh, yeah, so she really, as in our later years, she told us about her experiences of those years after her mother died. Um, she, she, she remembered, she said, a Christmas morning where somebody had given her and her sister a doll buggy and she remembered you know, a very quiet, dark house and pushing this doll buggy around with a doll in it and nobody around. I guess my grandfather was still in mourning at the time, you know, but she, she has this memory of it. Anyhow, what I have to say is that in spite of those difficult years where she, she spent some time with aunts and of hers in Detroit and, and my grandfather's um, mother, who was in Detroit, Michigan as well, she'd be back and forth across the border. Um, eventually, my, my grandfather remarried. And um, so they kind of, life settled down a little bit for her. It's interesting that she never called her stepmother mom. She always referred to her as auntie. Ah. Oh. Never called her mom. Anyway, um, I always felt that my mother was able to give us what she missed in her childhood. Oh. She, you know, she missed that connection and and she knew what it was that was missing in her own life somehow. And, uh, and I think she went out of her way to give us everything that she did not have with the loss of a mother and the kind of guidance that, that a mother has. Because the woman that my grandfather married was very young and I don't think she was by nature, you know, very maternal. Mm -hmm. But um, mom, Mom still worked with her and, you know, and over the years remained very faithful to her and taught us to be respectful and faithful to her. But, uh, but yeah, I must say, though, that um, she gave us what I think she was missing in her own life. I would probably say that mom taught me, taught me how to pray. I remember um, very distinctly when I started school, um, I already knew the, the Lord's Prayer and the Hail Mary and Glory Be, and I knew how to bless myself and so on. And I remember the nuns in school being very surprised at that because um, mom had already taught me those, uh, those prayers, you know. And, um, and then I guess through the years, my parents, of course, were very faithful churchgoers, and they, they taught us. They taught us great respect for the faith. Um, and that's, uh, that's also part of the Lebanese tradition. The, the Lebanese who lived way up in the mountains where my father's and my mother's family came from were very close to the Maronite monks who were up there. And they always joined them for the liturgies. Oh. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I remember through the years when I was a teenager, I remember overhearing my mother talking to her younger sister, Aunt Betty. And Aunt Betty uh, couldn't have children of her own. She had adopted an infant. And I remember Aunt Betty sitting down with my mother and saying, and saying, you know, Mary, she said, I, I had whatever the problem was she was having with, the, with this little kid. She was saying, tell me what to do. And I remember my mother saying, Betty, I have five children. Of course, that time there were five of us. My younger sister wasn't born. She said, Betty, I have five children. And she said, they're all different. What works for one doesn't work for the other. And I remember at that time in my life <clears throat> being surprised at the kind of wisdom that she had. I thought, 
I wonder where she learned all this, not knowing, of course, that she learned it from dealing with us, of course. <laughs> it was the school of the street, the school of hard knocks that she learned from, you know. So through the years, I must say, I came to appreciate her story, what she had gone through. And, um, and finally, in our later years, my brother, my sister Sylvia and I, my mother would have been in her 70s by then. When we went on vacation, mom came with us. <clears throat> we always took mom with us. We got an apartment in uh, like a housekeeping place in Ottawa for about 10 days, two weeks. And, and um, we always, and, and when I would tell some priest friends of mine, I said, oh, we went on vacation. They say, who were you with? And I'd say, oh, my mother. They'd say, you vacation with your mother, you know? But mom was lots of fun. She was a creative person, a fun-loving person. She liked to explore different things. And I must say, the other thing she did on these vacations, she insisted that we get her to a casino. She loved the slot <laughs> machine. <laughs> she loved the penny machines. And of course, you know, like we would be sightseeing somewhere during the day. And I'd say, well, let's take this road and see where it leads. And she'd say, well, it's getting late. Let's not waste too much time. We better get to the casino now. because we don't. <laughs> so, so here, 1130 night, I say, Ma, it's time for us to go home, don't you think? She'd say, all right, dear, get your, get your brother and sister. And when they're ready, I'm, I'll go. So, of course, we'd all be sitting around waiting for her. I'll be done in a few minutes, and we'd be dragging ourselves out. <laughs> she so, just loved it. But it was fun to be with her because... So that's, a, there's a couple of things that you've said that I'd, I'd love to reflect on. So, like, number one, she taught you to pray. Um, so moms, are we teaching our kids to pray, right? Uh, that's our responsibility. And then number two that both of your parents were uh, very devout and would go to the um, Marianite monks to, to participate in their, in their prayer life. So you also witnessed, um, you know, uh, a fervent prayer life with both of your parents. Um, you, you talked about your mom's, you know, tremendous wisdom. But the thing I think I'm loving the best is that she knew how to have a heck of a lot of fun, right? Yes, um, I always say to moms, you know, there's so much power in having fun and being joyful because, you know, we've all met those mothers, you know, I, I always joke with the really, really long skirts that are so stirred and scouring and they, you know, maybe they know all of their 32 encyclicals, but they don't know how to have any fun and they lose a tremendous amount of, um, I say, maternal power because they don't know how to seize joy and fun in their mothering. So that's kind of great to hear. Now, Father Casper, you know, I guess there's probably, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 of us here. Um, <laughs> Rebba says, I didn't know there are 32 encyclicals. I don't know how many there are. I made that number up. But uh, hello, Rebba. I want to say hello. Uh, hi, Karen. I wanted to touch base and say hello to Karen. Um, you've got someone here from your past. So there's Natalia from St. Joseph's Highland Creek in Scarborough. Father Casper was our pastor at St. Joan of Arc when I was a kid. It's so lovely to see him again. Um, my husband is Lebanese. Um, Katarina from Mount Forest. Uh, Claude says I'm originally from Lebanon and she's asking what part of Lebanon your family is from. Oh, from Terza, from Terza, up in the uh, mountains. My aunt used to tease my father and call him a hillbilly because he was from the mountain area. <laughs> well, hillbillies know how to have a heck of a lot of fun. So, you know, here we are gathered as a, a group of moms. And Father Casper, you've been very kind of, uh, kind and gracious to, to speak at, you know, my mom's group, and you've just done such a remarkable job, you know, in helping navigate, helping me navigate what seems like 3,000 crosses that were sent my way, and 
you know, what would you say to today's mother? You know, like we're dealing with so many crazy influences like the, you know, extreme LGBTQ, you know, and then we're dealing with Black Lives Matter, and then we're dealing with drugs, then we're dealing with the internet, then all of our kids go to schools and not everybody's practicing their faith in the schools. Um, and, you know, I would say multiculturalism and diversity is kind of good, but it makes it a lot harder raising kids when the culture is so incredibly, you know, diverse and women are kind of, I would say they're working eight hours a day at work, then they're commuting two hours, and then they come home to laundry baskets, making dinner. Um, if, if, if you were to send moms some type of a message or some type of encouragement or some type of direction, what, what would you say to the modern day mom, you know, that's battling all these elements. Some of the husbands aren't practicing the faith. Some of the kids have rejected the faith. This is big. I know, I, <laughs> I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but uh, what are some thoughts you have for moms? I would say, first of all, never underestimate the influence you have in your children's lives. Um, you know, I, I know that they spend many hours away from home, away from your influence. Um, they spend probably most of their waking hours in school when they, you know, when they're at school age and so on. But, um, and, and you just have a few hours with them in the evening probably, and you're busy with supper, preparing a meal and getting things cleaned up and getting them ready for the next day and so on. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress that's there on parents, on mothers in particular, I think, the traditional roles that you had. And so I would say, don't underestimate the influence you have, because even if it appears, as you know, um, as kids are growing up, they're, they're, they, they start to meet other people and other kids' parents, and they think other kids' parents are are brighter or more gifted than you might be and so on. They start comparing, you know. Don't let that under, don't let that devalue you or under or make you underestimate your influence in their lives. Because even if they appear to reject at some point in their life as they're growing up, all the things, the value system you gave them, they know who you are. If you're faithful to that value system, they see you, they observe you, uh, they experience your presence in their life with that system, and um, and it's it becomes a part of them. You can't deny that. Like I, I always argue with those parents who say, "Well, I'm not going to baptize my kids right now when they're small because because uh, I'm going to let them choose for themselves." But I say to them, you know, if you're prejudiced toward religion, what they're going to learn is that prejudice. If you're suspect toward it, if it's not significant for you, that's what they're going to pick up too, the fact that it's not significant for you. So don't assume that this, that you're, you're being, um, uh, you're leaving them totally free. You're not, you're, you, you have that kind of influence. So, um, no matter, and the other thing that became important to me as I grew up is that I learned to recognize my parents' forgiveness for the foolishness that I engaged in as I was growing up. Um, I got old enough to realize when I hurt them, and, and I realized that they didn't give up on me. They loved me in spite of the fact that I offended them, I um, ignored them, maybe belittled them in things I said or just by my behavior. Um, it, was, it was recognizing that their love is, is so unconditional that I found so very significant as I look back. And I think that was an extremely important thing. Um, you know, in our, in our family, um, we have, I have a first cousin who is, uh, who is gay. 
when he was growing up, he realized he was gay. And I remember while, while um, my dad was very uncomfortable with it, my mother was never judgmental. She did not pass the negative judgment on him. And she did not exclude him as some other members of the family did. Say, well, you know, we're gonna have Christmas at our house or this gathering, but he's not welcome. No, that was not. They are always our children. And I think that's important to remember. For mothers of, um, of gay and lesbian children, I remember the beautiful document published years ago by the American bishop saying, always your children, always our children. Um, you know, we can't, we can't dismiss. Keeping connected is the most important thing of all. Well, and yeah, even though your values are challenged, keeping connected is extremely important. Yeah, and I, I know myself in the, you know, I had a conversion and kind of got like all enthusiastic and wanted to change the world and talked about the faith every opportunity I had and declared this and that. And then, you know, I got X number of relatives not talking to me. And then I think, what was the wisdom in that? It, you know, it wasn't wise, you know. Um, it's taken me many years to, to learn that sometimes it's important to contain your enthusiasm, right? So it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful that, um, that you had that kind of mother that just portrayed, you know, um, so many virtues. I, I can't say that I'm as holy as your mom was. Um, you know, she had her faults, of course. I mean, I'm talking... <laughs> Yeah, she yeah, had her faults, no, no. I'm, but I'm telling you, you know. So, so Father, just to, we're, we're entering into tomorrow, you know, the, the feast or the solemnity of the um, Sacred Heart. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that solemnity and about the devotion to the Sacred Heart? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So, that's a devotion that became popular in the world during a time when the, um, the divinity of Christ was being emphasized more than the humanity of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what happened too was that, I think it became most popular in the 16, 1700s, and it flowered of course in the 19th century in France where it was strongest, but in the 1700s, don't forget, that's when the, um, we were beginning to develop the whole body of medical knowledge. Modern science and medicine was being born during those years. So things started to become very, um, very focused on science. You know, what was significant, what was important is what we could measure, what we could weigh, what we could see and smell. And if you couldn't do that, that wasn't important. So suddenly what people started searching for was something that was more, that would, that's more heart knowledge than head knowledge, you know, than scientific. And, uh, and the devotion to the sacred heart, although St. Margaret Mary lived in the, in the 16th century, um, the devotion to the Sacred Heart really became popular in the in the late um, 18th and 19th century. And that's because I believe people needed to relate to God with a heart knowledge. And so the heart of Jesus, while scientific medicine said it's a pump, you know, um, it became for us the symbol of God's unconditional love for us, the sacred heart devotion. And that's, I think, what made it catch on. I believe that that whole notion of unconditional love is very significant because, you know, we human beings, we, don't, we really don't know what love is and what unconditional love is until we've seen some signs of it or experienced it in our lives. And I think that's where our mothers and our fathers come in to play very much. 
who knows what love is unless you unless you have been loved um, how do you how do you understand it how do you know the cost of love unless you've seen it in your own parents you know um, the the vulnerability that comes with loving somebody you know so completely um, it, it makes us vulnerable it makes and and this is the whole point of the sacred heart devotion jesus becomes vulnerable for us to the point where he becomes one of us he dies like we die he experienced rejection persecution as human beings do he experienced prejudice as a lot of human beings do we've seen the fruits of that today in our society in all the marches and so on like there is so much um there is so much that we can that that we learn from this love of christ but it but it begins with our family experience um, we don't know what love really is until we've seen it i think so I really find that the devotion to the Sacred Heart is so um, so connected to our own experience, to heart knowledge of any kind, um, that what it does is make God personal and make us realize that God doesn't love us as a as a big blob of humanity. God loves us individually. God knows us individually, knows who we are. Um, and as we pray in, our, in the morning prayer of the church, the tenderness of God's love is with us always. We may not feel it every day, but um, we experience it in our, in our quiet moments when, when we connect with all those things that are the signs of God's love around us be it nature, be it people, be it the love of our children, our spouse, and so on. So in a nutshell, I mean, very superficially, you know, that's it. Now, uh, Father, I have a bit of a confession to make. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to make it publicly, but I'm going to make it. Uh, I sometimes struggle with the idea of unconditional love i don't know that i'm very good at unconditional love and i i, I sometimes uh, you know i'll say to my kids like you go rob a bank yes my love is going to be withdrawn and you're going to see the wooden spoon come out <laughs> and <laughs> like you start dropping f-bombs and my love is going to go on a screeching halt right uh, and you know, I guess my mother used to always kind of joke about kind of what she saw, like Canadian moms, like, oh, honey, 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 honey. She goes, no, sometimes they don't need honey, honey. Sometimes they need, you know, and just like a good strong. Uh, and so, you know, uh, for example, you know, the, the, the kids, when they're growing up, they, you know, they so much wanted to get a tattoo or this. And I'm like, in this house, no tattoos. That's a rule. You move out, you're paying your own rent, you go get as many tattoos, you know. And so I guess I struggle with, you know, the idea of unconditional love. Um, can you help me with that? Or can you respond to that? You know yeah it's important to know that unconditional love doesn't mean that anything goes um like to say that god loves us unconditionally is not meant to turn god into some kind of a big marshmallow in the sky like that's not <laughs> that, that's not you know but but i think what um what and, and what Jesus taught uh, look at how he handled um, different different situations like the um, Zacchaeus who was who was a little crook you know um, he he changed Zacchaeus's life not by condemning him for what he did but he's but by entering his life 
by telling Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus experienced the love of Jesus, he then said, okay, I, now I'm going to give back to people the money I stole from them, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm going to be on. He's changed his life dramatically because he received that love of God that he was longing for, and that's what changed him. That great love, I think, brings to light um, our faults and our failures. And I think that's, that's the dynamic we're talking about. And Jesus didn't say to him, oh, it doesn't make any difference what you did. No, he was looking for a conversion. He was looking for a change of heart on the part of Zacchaeus, and that's what he did. So it, it's, uh, you know, because I always say, like, you know, on the one hand, you know, we have the, you know, merciful, we do have the merciful Christ, but on the other hand, we've got the, the Ten Commandments, right? Um, and I guess that's got to be a, a, a tricky, um, a tricky walk to walk as a parent or even yes. as a priest, It is. Right? Oh, yes, it's right. It is. Um, now, there's someone here. Um, that saying, I, Rebecca Picardo says, I also struggle with the idea of unconditional love. I do not recall feeling secure around my parents. I remember feeling that they'll only love me when they do, when I did what they expect of me. And, uh, you know, like, <laughs> that's the spirit that I was raised in as well, but it kind of kept me in line a little bit, you know? Now, sometimes you want to rebel against the line. Um, Nelsie is asking, why do we pray, sacred heart of Jesus, I trust in you? How is that related to his unconditional love? Um, I don't recall, I, like I know we pray, Jesus, I trust in you, based on St. Faustina's mercy, divine mercy, but do we, are, are there specific prayers related to the Sacred Heart? That was also a Sacred Heart, yeah, Sacred Heart. We used to say a, um, a Sacred Heart um, prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon every day, which was related to that, yes. Very, that was the response to many of them. But you know, um, unconditional love and trust, I must say, um, if you look at, if you look at the Gospels, going back to Jesus when I, and relating to that question of unconditional love, if you go back to the Gospels, um, Jesus did become, he showed his anger to some people. That became very obvious. He showed his anger to, uh, to the Pharisees who were in a condition of leadership, in a position of leadership, and who were not compassionate. They did not show any compassion. I believe that one of the hallmarks of the, of the devotion to the Sacred Heart has always been the understanding that God's love for us is a compassionate love. Um, God doesn't expect us to be angels, but he does give us behavioral guidelines, yes. Mm -hmm. But more than anything else, he wants a change of heart. Christianity is a heart religion. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's so a, Christianity it's a change of heart. Um, that is, that's, a, that's so beautiful. Uh, now, someone's saying, and it's funny because I was going to ask you the same thing. Charlene uh, Gabriel is asking, um, can Father speak about, um, like, what is, consecration to the sacred heart of Jesus and what does enthronement of the sacred heart of Jesus in the home what does that mean so yeah what what is consecration to the sacred heart um you know sometimes is a concept like I know that I, I did a formal consecration to the sacred heart of Jesus with with you and then later I did a consecration to our lady, like you know, through Our Lady with the miraculous medal. So, for those folks or those moms maybe that don't know what consecration is, um, I don't do a good job explaining it. Can you tell us a little bit about what consecration to the Sacred Heart is and what enthronement is? This was uh, this was a part of the devotion, one expression of the devotion. 
um, in order that that devotion not be simply a personal thing, like between you know me and Jesus, I think it was extended to family and to home. And so, so what we did, we used to um, people would invite their pastor to come and do and and pray the prayer of consecration, consecration of the home to the Sacred Heart. What it simply meant is that. You know, when we consecrate something, like when, a, when an altar in the church is consecrated, what we're saying is that it is, it is there um, as an expression of our devotion to God. It is, it is there for a sacred use, a sacred purpose. And so when you consecrate your home, you're setting it aside for a sacred purpose. You're, you're saying, this is not just a place, a shelter out of the rain and cold and so on. It is here as a sacred purpose, a place where, you know, we can grow in love and understanding of God. I've, uh, I've, I've never heard the term uh, sacred purpose, and I, and I absolutely... I love it. Uh, it's so beautiful because I guess too, when you consecrate yourself personally, um, I guess you're kind of sort of saying, you know, I'm separating myself from the junk of popular culture, been there, done that. I am now separating myself for a sacred purpose. Is that what? what that when, so when we say uh, the chalice we use at mass has been consecrated, what it means is that it's not just a drinking cup. This has been set aside for the sacred purpose of using it in the Eucharist, for example. And so if, if someone wanted to, um, to, to do or, you know, to consecrate themselves, what would they have to do? Like, is it, uh, I know that St. Louis de Montfort has, you know, 33 days. And if, if I wanted, you know, how, how would that work in, the priests of the Sacred Heart in your community, if a person wanted to become consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus in your community, a lay person, for example? Actually, um, what we do, in fact, we have a group of lay people that we call, our founder was Leo John Dehon. So we have a group of people that are called lay Dehonians. And, and Lay Dehonians, because we just use his name, Dehon, D-E-H-O-N was his name. Uh -huh. So um, Lay Dehonians, and what they do, they're people who wanted to um, understand the spirituality of our founder, mm -hmm. and who were, as they came to understand it, they, they make a commitment to, to, to live it in their lives. And they carry on their own lives as in their work and families and so on. But they, they want to understand that spirituality and live it more. So, and we ask them to do certain things like, say, a prayer of oblation every day, which is part of the spirituality of our founder, which is really a self-offering to God at the beginning of every day, mm -hmm. something like that. So, like, there are little things that they're asked to do. So, a cons but if, if it's a question of, of like, uh, wanting to um, express not the a, a devotion to the Sacred Heart, if it's a question of expressing your own devotion and love of God by addressing Jesus as, you know, Sacred Heart, there are prayers of consecration that you can use. Now, um, someone is uh, someone is asking um, here that if if uh if folks wanted to find out more about uh this lay movement associated with the priests of the sacred heart is that something that you could kind of maybe send to me and then i can share it with the group or um actually what we did we started we started in our parish of thomas more um, a couple of years ago, in inviting people to come for a presentation, we introduced them to it, and then we asked if there were any people after two or th after two or three presentations. We asked if there were other people who wanted to go a little deeper into it, a little more deeply, and that's how we got this group of about five or six people started. Um, now, so, is, it, is it possible to? 
like have that presentation presented maybe to some of the moms that might be um, interested in it uh, here? You know, like not today, not tomorrow. I'm just sort of. Yeah. Well, I would say it's a possibility, yes. Yeah. Um, of course. Okay, so because they, there are a couple of people here that are saying that they would like to, uh, you know, learn a little bit more um, uh, about that movement and, and, and how it might work. I, I can't believe that it's almost 10 to 3. I always say these, this time goes by. Um, I, I see a question here. Do they come, these people come into the homes? Actually, so far, we have not done that. We have not come into the homes for that. But uh, if um, what we often do is give people a prayer of consecration so they can pray themselves a prayer of consecration. Um, okay, so that actually brings uh, up a, a beautiful topic. I know that when I was, um, you know, when I was young and searching and we're all young and searching and I, you know, that there's so many different movements in the Catholic church. You know, I always say that the Catholic church is a little bit of a genius <laughs> because we expect, you know, so I always say, you know, you've got the Regnum Christi here, you got the Opus Dei here, you got the Charismatics there, you've got the Focolaris here, you got the Legion of Mary here, you've got, and, and, and and you know, I landed up in a, and, and I guess because of my personality, um, everybody kind of wanted me as a part of their movement. Because can you can you promote this? And can you do that? And uh, I just found that there was not a fit between me and a couple of different movements. Um, and that um, I remember once having a conversation with you and you said, oh, it sounds like you were spiritually wounded. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happened. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process of how one might find um, their fit or do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure that some people don't even, um, some people don't even know uh, about the different movements um, or about the, the movement that, you know, the Dehonians, for example. Um, can you tell us a little bit about just the different movements and what to look for and, you know, and what to be careful of? And you know, Usually, um, I think what often happens is that people become attracted to a movement usually through individuals that they know whether it be clergy or friends of theirs and so on and i would say you know you um the, the first step of anything before you become a part of any movement is to collect the information so you might want to either read up on it or go along with a friend to a meeting or something get a sense of what they're about and if it appeals to you, fine. If it doesn't appeal to you, then, you know, then withdraw. Yeah, and, and if, <laughs> I would say that's very important because, you know, this, I was just going to say the spirit calls each of us to follow a pathway to God. And you don't want to do violence to whatever your inclinations are, where the spirit is leading you. Mm -hmm. Now we've got, it, it's 2.50, we've got 10 minutes and another question has come up. Um, Claude, you've uh, asked a couple of times here which parish is uh, father in which city. Um, you're no longer associated with a parish or are you father if somebody wanted to uh, hear you preach or are you associated with a parish at all? You know, <clears throat> I do help out from time to time at, um, at um, St. Thomas More, which is a parish entrusted to the care of our community. Um, where, the is, other, where is it? Where is St. Oh, Thomas? Oh, St. Thomas More is in Scarborough. It's in Scarborough, okay. And then the other parish? And the other parish that I helped out at sometimes is a, a dear friend of mine, Father Mike McGorty, is pastor at St. Peter's Parish. And where, so, where is St. Peter's? St. Peter's on Bathurst, right across from the Bathurst subway station. Oh, I have, wow. I have, um, I've, I've helped out there sometimes. Now, what's happened is that those of us who are up in years, um, <laughs> oftentimes, 
so far up as at this point we will probably we we were restricted to weekday masses where there's a smaller group mm -hmm. but um you know eventually i hope that will change yeah so you've um You've been a priest for over 50, what is it, 55 years now, right? You're a priest 55 years? I, yes, I'm an old timer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, old so, I just feel so you know, remarkably blessed to, uh, to have been a part of your, uh, that you've been a part of my life for, gosh, for 30 years. Um, now, one uh, question that someone is asking that I think is very important um, Father, can you please speak about spiritual wounds and what they can do to a person? How do you recognize that you've been wounded and how can you search healing? And I know like many women have told me, you know, they've either been wounded by their own mothers spiritually or they've been wounded by um, just a horrible, you know, some type of horrible relationship, sometimes wounded by you know, something that happened in the church. So how do you recognize wounds and make sure they don't have like a ripple effect in your life? Do you have any um, thoughts on healing wounds or books or resources or? You know, um, yeah, there, there, are, there are lots of books on the market that deal with it. I would say that it's so important, first of all, to acknowledge what our wounds are and to identify what it is that we lost when we were hurt. I think we need to identify that. Um, there, are, there are prayers, for instance, um, I remember when I was at the, um, um, I, I received from the Jesuit Retreat Center, I picked up a book I remember on the, uh, the, the healing, uh, on, on personal healing. And um, there's a process there with prayer and memory mm -hmm. that you go through that would be helpful. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's important, I think, to have a spiritual guide mm -hmm. to help you with that because there is not such a thing as, um, as a one process fits everybody. You know, like there's a, there's a process, but, but you need... I think you need some help to move from one stage to the next. It's, it's good to have guidance because some people have been very deeply hurt. Um, sometimes there's a misunderstanding of forgiveness. We're said, you know, we read in the gospel about forgiveness and um, there's a misunderstanding about what forgiveness means and the purpose of it is. Um, so what does it mean and what is the purpose of it? We've got a few minutes still. <laughs> well, I think it's very important to understand that forgiveness is not letting a person who hurt you off the hook. Forgiveness does not, that's not what it means. Forgiveness does not mean um, that you're telling another person, oh, it's okay, it really didn't mean anything in the long run. No, if you were deeply hurt, you were hurt. Forgiveness is something we do for ourselves to help our relationship with, our, with, with ourselves and with the world around us. Forgiveness isn't something we do for the sake of the person that hurt us. And it certainly doesn't mean, forgiveness does not always mean that we go back to a, to a relationship the way it was you know, before. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we're saying to the person, okay, let's go back and we'll... Uh, sometimes the hurt is so deep that it's not good to go back into that relationship. Sometimes it means the termination of the relationship. Um, you yeah. know, like, and those are the things that we need to, uh, to discern, I think, with the help of prayer and the spirit. Yeah, sometimes, I, you, sometimes you can't go back. And it doesn't mean that we need the other person to go through the process of forgiveness. Sometimes we don't want them in our lives and it's good not to relate to them. That's why I say it's something we need to do for our own freedom. Yeah, and I, I know that um, it's, it's like so important, I think, as mothers to, you know, have these uh, 
conversations because um, you know I run the Calling All Girls program and a lot of girls you know end up emailing me texting me this that and, and some of them are putting themselves in positions of you know being abused either psychologically because they kind of figure I just got to keep on going back I got to forgive and I got to forgive and like is you know there could be an unhealthy level of forgiveness sometimes especially like with young girls that just don't seem to don't seem to know better that um you know that it's better to cut ties and separate because okay this you know guy is a drug addict or this guy is an alcoholic or you know this guy is going to be abusive um and if as mothers we don't have the dialogue with our girls you know they can it's funny how satan can take the gospel and twist it um in, in our minds um, now some person here is asking do some families put a picture of the sacred heart of jesus in their home and why are there 12 promises of the sacred heart devotion can you tell us uh, we've got about two minutes left. <laughs> Well, we might um, have you back, Father. <laughs> <laughs> well, when um, those 12 promises came from the, um, the experience, the mystical experience of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in France. And she's the one that heard those promises from Jesus in her own mystical experience. So, um, and those promises, you know, um, they they've become very popular and some people accept them as gospel truth and other people question them you know the church has never made a pronouncement about them but what the what you do uh, is um they're they're accepted they're there they're a help to your devotion if they work for you mm -hmm. uh it's important that we don't turn them into something superstitious Mm -hmm. If you don't make the nine first Fridays, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. Like, I mean, you know. <laughs> and if you do make them, it doesn't mean that anything you do, you know, is, is fine. It's not going to change. Yeah, know, no, so. there's, uh, there, there's definitely, um, I know that it's when not I'm not a magical thing, you know. <laughs> yes, um, yes. So um, we have the, and the enthronement, you asked about a picture? Yes, that, yeah, so some, um, uh, do some families put a picture of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in there on a home altar? Um, do some families do that? Yes, they do. And it's uh, again, again, that heart image of Jesus reminds us of God's great, um, unimaginable love for us, the depth of his love for us. And I, I wanted to mention to everyone who uh, joined us today, that our ministry has been uh, preparing a, a, a booklet um, for the devotion to the Sacred Heart, just a very, very simple booklet. It has some uh, prayers that um, I guess I learned at Nativity of Our Lord Parish because they have a Thursday Sacred Heart devotion. And uh, I just took the prayers and the hymn from that booklet and uh, wrote a little bit of a introduction and reflection that I, I still want to send to Father Casper to look at it before we, um, you know, before we make it available um, through our website and things like that. Um, so it, it's three o'clock now. I, I don't like to rush off. Um, and I remember once I ended the meeting and people said, you were so abrupt. So um, Father, do you have any thoughts in closing to, um, you know, that you'd like to share with us? Any closing kind of thoughts to moms and the Sacred Heart on this eve of the solemnity of the Sacred Heart? Well, I would... I would just want to say, first of all, that it was certainly a pleasure to join all of you. I see here sometimes the questions that are popping up, uh, and uh, I'm really um, happy with your involvement and engagement. I would say um, your vocation is so key and so significant, so important. So. Um, I just want to wish you every blessing and and I hope you have the strength and perseverance to really to recognize 
how significant your your faith is, um, your love is for your family, for your children. Uh, they make a difference. You might think it doesn't make a difference, but they make a profound difference in everyone's life. The other thing is what you do has a profound impact on society as well. Um, you know, our family is a unit. Yes, it is, but it's not an enclosed unit. We, we relate to other people beyond us. What you do does affect the world in which we live little by little. So God bless you all. Um, may you be given the strength you need to be faithful mothers and, and um, may the Holy Spirit be your guide. The wisdom of God is always there with you. Never forget that. Even in those dark moments, uh, God is there journeying with you. That's what the heart means, really. So you've kind of started a, a, a little bit. Um, do you mind maybe just sort of saying a, a closing prayer and a closing a blessing, if you don't mind, just a closing prayer? Yes. Gracious and merciful God, we ask you to look kindly upon all the mothers who have participated in this gathering today. Grant them the grace they need to carry on with their lives to fulfill their vocation. Grant that they may know that your healing and comforting love surrounds them always. Help them to reflect that love in all their relationships. May they grow in knowledge of you and in understanding of all that you have taught us. And may they always trust your presence in their lives. I bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I just wanted to re remind you all that the, the virtual meeting is not exactly the same as the meeting that we have when we're in the parish. This is a, an abbreviated uh, version. Um, but I'm so, like some days I'm just so happy for COVID, you know, because I thought if it wasn't for COVID, there's no way that you would be speaking to 40 moms from across the archdiocese today. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, praise God that, uh, you know, for his wondrous, marvelous, and mysterious ways. Um, I want to thank you all, each and every one of you. Uh, Rebecca, it's nice to see you. Rita, great to see you. Carmela, Charlene, Jacqueline, Martha. Um, Judith Mazona, always great to see you. I wanted to remind everybody that we do have a Catholic Mothers Summit coming up on June the 27th, and Dr. Lombardi is going to be speaking about um, what, what a vocation means as a vocation of motherhood. Carissa Douglas is gonna give a talk on the choices we make. And I'm going to be giving a talk on the five marks of uh, Christian motherhood. I ask you to pray for that uh, summit. Um, I have a little story to tell, but I'm not going to tell it today because it's already 3.05. And once I start, sometimes I go on too long. <laughs> so, uh, but I do have a marvelous story. Please know that I'm praying for you all. Uh, I love you all. I ask for your continued prayers for the ministry. If you feel called in any way, please write us, email us. Uh, we love donations. You know, those are a great thing. And uh, if there's any way that we can help you, if we can, we will. If I'm not responding to your emails, sometimes I just get overwhelmed and I need your prayers too. So please remember to pray for Father Casper, pray for me. I would also beg each and every one of you going back to your parishes to please, please, please cooperate with the directions being given there. Um, it's been really breaking my heart seeing, seeing some people insisting, you know, I want to receive communion on the tongue and I'm not going to receive. And it just, it breaks me into tears, you know, like 
priests are under enough stress right now and i beg you to pray for priests because going back into the parish is so stressful for them um, so I beg you to cooperate with priests, to pray for them, and to extend your mercy and understanding. Um, anyway, I'm beginning to sound like a preacher. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Father Casper, for, uh, welcome. for the beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'll be praying for you tomorrow. Happy feast day. And, thank you. Uh, and goodbye everybody oh and father if you can send me any like either books or the information about the, the those lay people that we can maybe become a part of or what their practices are maybe we can do another you know meeting in the fall with you where you can tell us a little bit more about that and yes. get some new members right um so uh so here's someone says thank you so much father casper just listening to your message so embodies the love and understanding that so reflects the gifts of the sacred heart devotion so uh thank you god bless you all we love you okay i'm gonna be oh and happy father's day someone's saying because you're our father yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's this weekend that's right okay that's this weekend okay so i'm gonna be ending the meeting thank you everybody thank you for showing up love you and please do connect with us um send us your testimonials send us your prayers and send us your love bye-bye